Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Well, amen, family. Um, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you and would like one, just lift your hand up, and we will be more than happy to put a Bible in your hand if you would like a physical copy of God's Word. Um, There should be a connect card um, right there in the middle that's already turned to the page that you need to be at. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I want to read just a few verses, and then I want to pray for us. Um, I want to start at verse 28 and read all the way down to verse 33. This is the word of God. And don't worry about your clothing. Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Today, for just a few moments, I want to talk about the value kingdom over church. Kingdom over church. Let me pray. Father, God, I need your help in this moment. Would you make my words clear, my thoughts, your thoughts, my desires in this moment, exactly what you want? God, I pray that you give us all ears to hear and hearts to believe and hands ready to obey. God, would your spirit make this word come alive today in our hearts and our hearing? God, would we see it with fresh eyes? And would we, above all things, hear your voice speaking to us? Through your word. God, would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you above all things. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Um, How many people have ever heard the phrase, the church is the hope of the world? The church is the hope of the world. I have um, heard that. There's books written on it, and there has been some good fruit from that sentiment, that the church is the hope of the world, and so we need more churches. We need more missionaries. And so there was a blossoming of church planting and sending of missionaries because the church is the hope of the world. And I've never quite liked that statement. It's never quite sat well with me, although for there was a season where the fruit from it was good. But Then it began to turn because if the church is the hope of the world, then what's more important than protecting the church? And from that sentiment, from that belief came political movements, power movements, moral majorities. It began to feed this desire for wealth and power because we're going to use that wealth and power to protect the hope of the world. 
But here's the problem with that statement. I don't believe that the church is the hope of the world because I don't believe the Bible says that the church is the hope of the world. I believe because the Bible is clear that Jesus is the hope of the world. Now, he was like, oh, Pastor, now you're just splitting hairs. Or what's, the, what's the difference, right? We, we know what you, what you mean when the church says the world, but I think it's an important distinction to make because it's easy to confuse the methods with the ends. It's easy to confuse a purpose with an identity. You see, our purpose is to share the hope of the world, but we are not that. Let me get real practical. Uh, how many people in this room use Uber Eats? DoorDash, something like that. How many people use it too much? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, you don't have to admit it. It's okay. It's all right. Uh, but this, there's this idea, right, that it's a phenomenal business model, right? How does it work? I want a Cinnabon from the mall. I'm not going. Okay, come on now. I'm not the only one. Don't do this like me. Y'all saw it pop up on the feed just like I saw it. I want a Cinnabon from the mall. I'm not going to go to the mall, right, because I'm grown. Like, who goes to the mall, Right? <laughs> I'm not going to go to the mall, but I want it. So there's this third part that says, you know what? I got you. Place a little order. I'll go get it, and I'll bring it to your house. Business model is fantastic, right? But when DoorDash is doing its job or when Uber Eats is doing its job, what? They're invisible, right? You just get a text message or a notification. You walk outside, and there it is. You didn't have to smock talk nobody. You didn't have to tip nobody. You just walk outside, pick it up, go back into your food, right? Slow down. I'd rather tip on my phone than grab something. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to like, look for change. Like, I can just push a button, right? We do have to tip. We got some door dashes in the building. All right. <laughs> but the, the transaction is beautiful because it's clean. It's simple. Here's what I need. You brought it to me. Thank you. Now, what if you ordered something off of one of those apps, and instead of a notification that your food has arrived, somebody rung your doorbell? You opened it, and it was your driver saying, man, I don't have your food, but look at this nice car that I drove over here. That's a brand new car. Don't you like it? Matter of fact, do you mind if I come in and we just kind of get to know each other a little bit? How would that feel? No, bro. Like, (laughs) praise God that you got a new car. I'm sure that you're a nice person, but that's not what I'm here for. And that's not what you should be here for. But if that driver confuses that which they're carrying with who that they are, they will think, oh, they're so excited to see me, so I can't wait to show them my brand new stuff. Y'all going where I'm going with this, right? When the church is doing its job, we are presenting Jesus to people clearly and unequivocally so that all that they see and all that they're amazed with is the love of our Savior. Not just how awesome our programs are, how pretty our church buildings are, or how nice of a people that we are once a week. When the church is operating at its finest, it is almost invisible as it's impacting and changing the world. Christopherson wrote this book called Kingdom First, and in it he has a quote that says, the potency of the early church was in its disinterest with itself. The early church was as powerful as we read about in the book of Acts because it was totally disinterested with itself. Anybody read through the book of Acts in the last several years? I know we we preached through it a while ago. When I first got into ministry, 
That was like, hey, man, this is the story of the church. And so I went to the book of Acts to look for the story of the church because I thought this was about 15, 20 years ago. Like, man, one day the Lord's going to call me to do ministry and I want to know what he requires. So I'm going to study the book of Acts and it's going to tell me how to run a church. Y'all know what I found in the book of Acts? There is shockingly few details about how the church operated in the book of Acts. And some of this stuff is like big deal for me. Y'all remember Pentecost, right? Acts chapter 2. The believers are huddled up praying. All of a sudden, the, the roof blows off the building. A hurricane sweeps in. People are covered in fire. And then everybody there begins to speak in another language, telling everybody how good God is. That's amazing, by the way. That's the birth of the local church, Pentecost. But as someone in ministry, what I was curious about was, okay, what happened next Sunday, though? Because you had these people from all over the world speaking at least a dozen different languages. And what language was the sermon preached next week? That's what I was curious about. It says that they were meeting in homes and, and meeting in the temple and meeting in public places. And I was like, okay, which one is it? Right? Did they have like a, a corporate gathering in this one big building and then have small groups in a house? Or it sounded like they were doing church in the house, but small groups in the building? Like, I had questions about the details. And the Bible didn't care to answer almost any of those questions. Because not only was the early church disinterested with itself, even the record of Scripture is disinterested with the methods of the church. But what is on every page in the Bible, not just in the book of Acts, is the glory of God and the power of God exploding from his people to a desperate land. You see on every page of the story of Acts, God using people whose names we don't even know to start revivals in cities. And so what's on display is the power of God, not necessarily the methods of the church. And so when we in our context say that the church is the hope of the world, it is at best an unhelpful statement because we are not Jesus. The means and the ends are not the same thing. Okay, y'all looking like I'm making this up. As a pastor of a church, I can tell you the three things that to do in order to grow a mega church. Y'all want to hear them? Anybody here want to be a mega church pastor? Here you go. Do these three things. Relevant preaching, good music, the best kids programs. Pastor Neil, my line. He planted his first church the year I was born. He knows what he's talking about. If you don't believe me, believe them. You do those three things and you, your church will explode. Not too long ago, there was less than 200 megachurches in the country, to megachurch being 2,000 people in attendance on a Sunday service. Right now, there's about 2,000 megachurches in the United States of America running 2,000 and above in Sunday weekly attendance. And they all have good music, relevant preaching, good kids programs. You do those three things and you will grow a church. The question is, will you grow the kingdom? And that's the part that I want us to parse out because the kingdom is not the church and the church is not the kingdom and you can grow one without growing the other. In a perfect world, y'all, this wouldn't even be a value. In a perfect world, the kingdom and the church will be running in parallel with one another. But there are times when the needs of the church seems to make seems to take the priority over the reason for the church. Let me give you a personal example. 
Uh, let me talk about the brothers, because when I talk about the ladies, I get emails. So brothers, it's on you. You ready? Brothers, you go to work, right? You study hard, you work hard to, to provide for your family, because when you were able to bring a paycheck home, you were able to do good and kind things for your families. Amen? And so the thinking can go, well, when I make this amount of money, we're able to do this amount of things, and it's awesome. What if I just made more money? More money is going to be more good things, right? And then you work more hours and more hours and more hours with the thought of providing for your family, taking your family on vacations, enjoying the good things of life, all for good reasons. But one day you look up and it's been 10 years and your children don't know who you are. Because you were on the pursuit of good things, sacrificing the purpose for those good things in the first place. Sacrificing the time when you had less money, you seem to have more of, but now that you have more, you have less time. And so the means and the ends are getting confused. You did it to love your family well, to care for them well, to spend time for them well. You begin to chase after good things and realize that you gave up the very purpose of your role in the family, chasing after something that you just need. The reality is, family, that there are good things in this world that will distract us from the best things that God offers. And the churches that I've been a part of, the churches that I lead now, the, the pastors around this country, they have a good heart. They say, man, we want to we raise up disciples and we want to send missionaries and we want to create stable marriages and we want to have thriving singles ministries. We want to do all these things to equip people to do the work of ministry. And so they say, okay, how do we do this in a church? They say, okay, well, we need to, to, to hire some staff. Okay, to hire some staff, what do we need to do? Well, we need some more money. So how do we get more money? Well, we need more people. Okay, well, how do we get more people? Well, maybe we should do the, the summer preaching series at the movies. And maybe we should have different programs. And, and maybe we should do a building fund and a campaign because every time you move into a building, you attract new families. I don't know why that's the case, but it is. And so you spend all your time building the church instead of just being the church. And I'm here to tell you from personal experience, you can spend the rest of your life right here building. One day thinking, oh, if I, we just get this one next milestone, when I get to this level of giving, when we get to this size attendance, when we get to this level of building, and then we can do ministry. Don't judge pastors too harshly. We do it all the time in our lives. If I, I could just get over this one hurdle, if I could just clear this, this crazy week I got, if I could just get this one promotion, if I could just finish this class, then I can do the things that God wants me to do. I heard a quote uh, not too long ago. It's a funny quote, but true. It says, being an adult is just saying next week things will be a little bit better every week until you die. That, oh, man, it's crazy this week. Let's get together next week. Things will settle down. And you just say that every week until you die. Right? Because you, you want the best things. You, you want God in present in your life. You want to do the things that God has put in your heart to do. You just need to do this one thing first. And then, okay, God, I'm all yours. Here's the reality, family. The kingdom of God has got to take priority in our lives. That's what Radiant Reimagined is all about. It's this desire for God's kingdom to take priority in our church. But God's priority in God's kingdom is not the church. It's what the church can be, though. 
Flip over to Romans chapter 14 really quickly. We're going to come back. Romans chapter 14. Um, As you're turning, Paul is having a conversation with some believers about food sacrificed to idols. It's like, hey, should we eat this? Is this okay? Talking about kind of just a moral ethic dilemma. And and Paul is saying, man, there's only one God, so all these gods really don't exist, so it doesn't really matter, but we want to be compassionate towards our brothers and sisters who still believe that, and so walk in compassion, not just conviction, all these other things. Um, And in the middle of this conversation, he's going to say something profound about the very nature of the kingdom. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. The kingdom of God is not a place. It's not something that you can touch. But what it is, is the spirit of God ruling and reigning in the lives of people. You see, heaven is not the kingdom of God. Radiant church is not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is present in heaven because the kingdom of God is anywhere and anytime that God gets what he wants. And when you give God what he wants, there the kingdom is at work. That's why earlier in Matthew chapter 6, in the same chapter we were just reading, you have the model prayer of the Lord's Prayer. And what does it say right there in the middle? Your kingdom Come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven ain't the kingdom, but there is a picture of what God getting what he wants looks like. And Jesus is saying that we should pray for that to be true where we are. So here's the reality, family. The kingdom of God is wherever God gets what he wants. The kingdom of God can be on your job as long as you bring him there and you submit to him there. The kingdom of God can be in your marriage as long as you submit your fears and your desires and your wants to the, to the will and word of God. The kingdom of God can be there too. The kingdom of God can be in your home, can be in your neighborhood. As long as there are people giving God what he wants, there the kingdom of God reigns. The problem is our needs conflict with God's worthy worship. And I get it. I was talking with some uh, pastors about this Radiant Reimagined deal. It's like, man, we're going to do services once a month. We're going to do groups. And I know, you know, half my church loves groups. The other half ain't even thinking about groups. Um, if y'all, <laughs> y'all ain't get it, it's all right. Um, some of y'all are like, I love groups. What are you talking about? The other half is like, yep, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I ain't going. Um, intentionally diverse church, man. We get different problems. It's fine. Um, so I'm talking with another pastor about this idea, and I'm just kind of sharing, man, am I crazy? Like, is this whatever? He's, you know, nine out of ten pastors I've talked to is like, man, you're absolutely right. The stuff we're doing ain't working. Like, matter of fact, if it works there, like, you go first, and if it works, then we'll do it too, right? But there was a friend of mine, uh, and his initial response was, came from a good and honest place. But when I was talking to him about it, um, I said, man, this is what we're thinking about. This is the reasons why I'm, you know, this is what we're trying to go after, um, he began to ask, like, concern questions. He was like, man, is everything okay? I was like, yeah, I think so. He was like, man, you know, it, you know giving must be down, attendance must be down. Like, hey, man, it's a season. You know, you get out of it, this and this and that. I'm just like, no, no bro, like, it, things are, like, giving's good. Attendance is up. Like, it, it, <laughs> the most honest question he could have asked, he didn't mean nothing by it. Me and him are great friends. He literally asked the question, well, if nothing's wrong, then why would you change anything? 
And I begin to, to wrestle with that is, man, we are grading on our scale, not God's. Because if you've got money in the bank and people are showing up, you're doing it. You're doing it. Y'all, the, the playbook for Radiant Church, five years in, this amount of money, this amount of people, the playbook should be that we start a Saturday night service. That would get young folks, young professionals, and college students, right? They can't pay for nothing, so we got to keep Sunday services, right? But that would be the next wave. That's what you do in the playbook of church. You launch a Saturday night service and maybe go to four Sunday services, right? You start the first one a little bit earlier. You end the last one a little bit later. You can fit four in. You cut it down three songs instead of four. All of There's a machine and a mechanism and a playbook that tells you how to grow a church. But the question I begin to wrestle with, is that growing the kingdom? With all these mega churches in our country, with near a million churches in the state of South Carolina, do I see lostness go decreasing as church attendance is increasing? There are 40, yes, 40 churches within a three-mile radius of this building. Does it look like that when you walk outside? Does it look like there's an army of the people of God that meet here on a regular basis. And so I begin to wrestle because, man, we can grow a church without growing the kingdom. And oftentimes what the church needs isn't necessarily what the kingdom demands. Fathers, you can send your family to really good vacations to make up for the time that you don't spend with them because you're working. And you can raise good kids who go to good schools, who do good stuff. Moms, you can do the same. Single folks, you can live relatively moral and good lives and people will applaud how well disciplined and mattered, how focused you are and all those other things. But the question we've all got to ask in the midst of all this goodness is the kingdom of God advancing. In the midst of me building my career is the kingdom of God. And you know what I would love to see? As somebody walks up to you, your manager walks up to you in your job and offers you the promotion because you're killing it. Because Christians should be good employees. Amen. Right? Because you're killing it. And your manager says, man, hey, we just had a manager position open up. It's about $30,000 more a year, increased responsibilities. It's a great fit for you. And for you to look that man in the eye and say, no, nah, I'm good. And be like, did you hear me? I said, it's $30,000 more a year. I said, yeah, but man, I'm already working 10, 12 hours. I take work home with me. I'm already at my capacity anymore. And I'd be taking away from my first ministry, which is my home. And that puzzling look that you're giving me now, for your manager to have that same puzzled look to give you as you explain to him the values of your life are different. And maybe, just maybe, you have an opportunity to share the gospel with he and her. Because let me tell you why I'm walking away from a little bit of money. Because this job isn't my identity. It's not even my, my source of provision. It's really just my mission for you. I'm here because God loved you so much. He sent somebody who knows him to introduce all of y'all to him. And I can do that in eight, nine hours, just as well as I can do it in 10, 11, 12 hours. So no thank you. I appreciate it, though. Can you imagine the conversation that that would create in your, in your world? 
Here's the reality. If there's no tension, then you don't have to make a choice. If that man says, hey, we're going to pay you more money and don't even worry about it, you're going to work less hours, you say, yes, sir, thank you. Right? Because when there's no tension, you don't have to worry about making a choice. But when there's a tension, you have to make a choice. Kingdom over church. If we can grow the church and grow the kingdom, we're going to do it. But if ever there's a time where the needs of the kingdom and the needs of the church are in conflict, kingdom over church says our priorities are clear. If you can make a ton of money and love your family and be an ambassador to the lost in your world, then do it. Praise God. We need wealthy, business-minded believers. But if ever there's a conflict where you have to choose one or the other, Kingdom over church says, no, I'm going to choose kingdom. Why? Roman, Matthew chapter 6, flip back there real quick. I want you to see it. Verse 31. Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers. Living with your first priority to be the provision of your needs is how unbelievers live. I'm talking real slow, and I'm not making any sudden movements because I know this is disorienting, and I want nobody to, to, have a, to have a moment. I know this is different than what you've heard. I know this is different than what you built your life around. I know we have kind of had this subtle, the means justify the ends methods. Like you don't have to share the gospel as long as you can write a check for somebody else to. That's fine. You work, build your empire. Somebody else will live righteously. Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things, these thoughts, these priorities, these disordered affections dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. It's how those who don't have a savior live. It's how those who don't have a relationship with a living God live. But your heavenly father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously in what? He will give you everything you need. This isn't a call to quit your job, right? <laughs> I know some of y'all don't like your job and y'all just waiting for an excuse. Well, Pastor Phillips said we need to live holy and live righteous, right? Like I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying take a vow of poverty. I'm not saying disrupt anything about your life. I'm saying make the priority the expansion of the kingdom of God, not just the stuff that you need, because God knows you need it. And the question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him to really provide that which you need while you pursue his kingdom and not yours. While you pursue his desires and not yours. While you pursue his glory and not yours. If you can have both, take it. But it is becoming increasingly true that we have to make a choice between the two. Family, <laughs> my first desire, my first inclination was not to do groups and church once a month and all those other things. That was, not my, that was not my desire. That's not how I was trained to do church. That's not how I grew up in the family of God, growing up in God. That's not, how, that's not familiar to me. 
<laughs> my favorite question is we've been walking through this radiant reimagined thing is, uh, who else is doing this? <laughs> and I get it. It's a good question. And I don't know why no one else is doing it, right? We might be dead wrong or we might just be the first of many. Or maybe the ones that are doing it are so disinterested with themselves, they didn't write the book about it. They're not on the speaking conference. They're doing it. They just nobody knows. Because they're just being faithful without writing the blog. They're just being faithful without trying to be famous. Kingdom over church means not just a principle for us together, but hopefully it's a practical principle for you in your life. Think about the last five major decisions that you had to make as a family or as a person. Think about the last five decisions. You may have to go back a few years. I'm talking about big ones. Big ones like you had to call a couple people. You had to really sit on it. I'm talking about decisions that you felt were weighty that would change the outcome of your life. Think about the last three to five of those big decisions that you've made. Now, it's almost always a combination of the two, but if you had to to put the scales of your heart up here and say, here's what I wanted, and here's what the kingdom of God wanted. Here's what have advanced my agenda. Here's what would have advanced the kingdom of God's agenda. Here's my comfort and my safety and my pleasure, and here is God's glory and his worthiness. If you were to put those on the scales, which one would have weighed out over the other in the last five big decisions of your life? Now, it's almost always a combination of the two because God is good and he gives good things and obedience comes with some rewards. And I'm not saying there's not as always uncomfortable. I'm saying if there's a choice to be made between us and God's glory, between growing this church or advancing the kingdom of God, we have got to be clear what our priorities are. You know, the elders and I have had serious conversations about having to go get part-time jobs and still do the work here. We're under no delusions. Radiant Reimagined is not going to work for a lot of people. So if the, half the church leaves and giving dries up, will we stay the course? I've said it many times before, but it might be tested next year. I ain't scared of y'all because I ain't afraid to go to work. I ain't afraid to go get a job. Why? Because being a pastor is not my identity. I go work at Lowe's do the night shift, stock that, and be right back here in the morning preparing sermons, praying for people. And so will Pastor Neil. So will Pastor Marcus. It's, it's a means to an end. My goal wasn't to be a pastor. My goal was to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So I'm not going to protect this in order to do that. I can just do that and let this happen, whatever happens. My goal wasn't just have a room filled of people. My goal was to see an army of God's people who are in love with him and can't wait to tell somebody about it. So if we got to give up a little bit of stuff to make that happen, man, it's still worth it. Because I've gotten to a place in my life where I don't want to make excuses why God's priorities have to wait on mine. And I'm hoping you will take this step of faith with me. 
where God's priorities don't have to keep waiting on your priorities, where God's priorities don't have to keep waiting on my timeline when I can get things right so then I can take this step of faith, where God's priorities, where God gets what he wants because that's the kingdom of God. And I trust him to provide for my needs as I follow him with faith. I will be a good steward of resources. I will be the best employee on my job. But I will never confuse the message with the messenger. I will never confuse this church with the hope of the world. We are only, salt is only worth keeping if it keeps its flavor. But once it loses its flavor, the Bible says it's worthy to be trampled on. The church is only worth anything in so much as it points people to Jesus in word and in deed. And so we are going to trust that the words seek first the kingdom of God aren't just a metaphor for make sure you go to church. Seek first the kingdom of God isn't just a metaphor for doing what I can when I can. But we're going to trust that seek first the kingdom of God is how the people of God should live. In big ways, read it, reimagine corporately. In small ways, how we raise our kids, spend our money, spend our time, and the choices that we make here and there. Family, the, the ask is, will you join us? Will you join us, man? Not just in this new model of church, but in this new way of thinking about church altogether. That I'm not trying to grow this building with more people. I'm trying to grow you so that you can reach people for the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that if we do that and live righteously, God will take care of us. God will take care of us. Might be a little hard. Might be a little uncomfortable. But God will take care of us. And that's true of Radiant Church. And that's true of your life, too. Will you trust him? Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.